This afternoon is with great pride that we introduce John Stevens as the new head coach of the LA Kings. John has been with the Kings for the last seven years, most recently serving as associate head coach for the past three years. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. However, the views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and other contributors. They do not necessarily represent those of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We have a ton of ground to cover in this episode, you guys, so I will try and get you to it quickly. The Royal Half joins me for the first 45 minutes to discuss new head coach John Stevens, our reactions to the first round of the playoffs, and our thoughts on the second round moving forward. Then Pete Weber joins us to talk about the Predators' shocking sweep of the Chicago Blackhawks. And finally, a conversation with Dave Joseph, Lindsay Zarneski, and Bo Hamby, recorded immediately following the rain game Saturday night. Subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode at lakings.com. Subscription links and recent episodes are always available. Hope you enjoy the episode, Kings fans. Joining me now, the Royal Half. How are you doing today, the Half? Uh, I'm doing well, Jesse. And if there's one man who can lead the LA Kings into offensive glory, it's the man in charge of their defense. <laughs> well, you know, they say the best offense is a Good defense, I guess. Okay, all right, all right. I'm, keep it going. You're selling me. You're <laughs> no, selling me. That's that's all I got. <laughs> that's a good hire. That's a good hire. You're right. <laughs> I mean, look, there was an article. I don't even remember who wrote it, but there was an article many years ago that explained why the Kings' offense flowed out of their defense. Uh, it was very compelling. I urge all of you to uh, go try and find it based on my <laughs> limited recall. <laughs> I urge all of you to Google search Kings article offense and, and see uh, how many John Rosen articles come up uh, instantly. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was written in like 2011 or something. It was very compelling though, the half. <laughs> you got to trust me. But I uh, know John Stevens was named as the new head coach of the Los Angeles Kings today. Uh, for the past, what, three years, he's been something called an associate coach. Uh, which, is, is that like Dwight Schrute's um, yeah. title on the office? <laughs> yeah, assistant to the head coach. Uh, yeah, so I mean, this doesn't. This was not a surprise, right? Um, I mean, I I don't think it was a surprise to anyone kind of who's follows this franchise very quickly. But I think to maybe the outside hockey world, it's a little bit of, of a surprise. Um, you know, I think I think when you quote unquote clean house like the Kings did two weeks ago, mm-hmm. getting rid of Daryl Sutter and Dean Labardi. The last place, you know, some hockey fan in the upper peninsula would would think they would do would hire their associate coach. Um but here we are two weeks later and and according to Rob Blake, there was no coach search. There there was yeah. nobody else on the short list besides John Stevens. But but I wanna I- I think it's important to draw a distinction between a quote-unquote cleaning of house and um, sort of consequential firing. So, like, Buffalo appears to have cleaned house in my mind, right? Like, they appear to be to be saying, you know what, the last three years were a total mistake. Um, you know, mea culpa, we're going in totally different direction. The Kings, on the other hand, I don't think the Kings would suggest that Dean Lombardi and Daryl Sutter uh, were bad at their jobs. I think they would suggest that mistakes were made. The team went, you know, got off track, off course, like we said last time, and and we need to, cor- you know, course correct. But so, you know, keeping Stevens is part of that. You know, you're not abandoning your the last whatever 10, 11 years of the franchise's history and, and the course. You're just saying. You know, for whatever reason, we lost sight of where we were going, and now we're going to just promote Fuda to assistant GM and Stevens to coach, and you know, just get back on your horse. Um, you know, and it's certainly they're certainly not the first team in the history of sports to promote an assistant to to a replaced put to you know his replacement position. Um, Stevens, in fact, was an interim coach in 2011 when they went from uh, from Murray to Sutter. Um, so. Based on his resume, based on the, on everything we hear about the players liking him, you know he is certainly more um, accommodating to the media than uh, than Terrell Sutter was. So, you know, I, I think it'll. I you know, I'm optimistic. You? Yeah, I mean, I understand your point. I, I'd be curious with a little bit of research to see what other teams have promoted an associate coach that has been there for five or six years. 
you know, I think generally, I mean, you look at what happened in, I guess St. Louis was a little bit different in a situation because Mike Yao was brought in as the future head coach. But, you know, I think in past, even with his own franchise, um, the John Torchetti years, right? right. That, that wasn't someone who was on the bench, even though the Kings probably had a very capable um, assistant coaches on the bench. Um, so, so I, 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 I would be curious to look at some other franchises that have made a similar mood and, and, and see what it is. I, I, I know that if I worked, I had a, I had a relationship with a, a superior at office uh, in an office environment where I worked side by side with this woman for, for close to four to five years. And I will say we, she went her way and I went my way at the end of the, the four to five years. And I, every single thing that she did, I do now. So like, she definitely instilled in me the the work ethic that I have now. So it just seems strange to me that someone can be side by side with Daryl Sutter for five or six years, and and we don't know if he's going to take on all of the the defensive system or offensive system traits of the man that he was side by side with. Does that make sense? What yeah, I'm trying to say? No, absolutely. I, you know, it's funny. It's just for me, this is a move where you have you know they even referenced it at the press conference. They have 14 guys on this roster that won a Stanley Cup with this team. Um, we all know that, you know, tons of the, the roster are signed to long-term deals. Obviously, they hope to sign to Foley and Pearson to long-term deals. Drew Doughty will have a new deal, hopefully, in two years that'll be long-term. And so, to me, this is more about, again, the 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 man behind the wheel may change over time, right? It's been Crawford, it's been Murray, it's been Sutter. Um it's been even Lombardi, right? Like the, the systems that Lombardi put into place was laid on top of the framework laid by Dave Taylor, right? You know, we've sort of lost sight of the contributions Dave Taylor made to this franchise when he was general manager, but he was the one that, that established the AHL, the relationship between the AHL franchise and the NHL franchise. You know, Lombardi came in and, and improved upon that with the scouting and the, and the communication. But you know, AEG really has implemented a full view uh, approach to the entire franchise. And so I don't blame them from, again, promoting within people. You know, it's like players, right? They bring a lot, the Kings bring players up from the minors when they're ready to come in. They don't just draft an 18 year old and say, well, here you go, kid. You're 18. You're real good. So, yeah, no, I lead us. I can see your point there. You know, I, I you know, I think it's I think it's a little bit different when you're talking about players versus coaches. Sure. Cuz you you're trying to instill a system and and but look, obviously John Stevens is very well liked. Um his relationship with Jeff Carter goes back to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um so that's great. You know, and 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 even though I think I don't think he won a game, maybe he won one game when he was the interim coach, it was obviously a much different situation, but it was a team that was sorely lacking. Uh, offensively, <laughs> yep. Um, and and you know, I I, I don't want to be contradictory to myself because I think the last podcast, you know, I talked about how I think. Well, we we got some news today, but like I wasn't ready to give up on Gabrick because I feel like you know, in a new uh, with a new coach and a new system, Gabrick could get back to where he was. So and there's no reason to think that any of the other Kings players can't get back to where he was. So if if the new regime that's running this team feels like the best bet is to kind of bring in a familiar face that the players are happy with that has credentials of, of being an NHL coach and knows this team and its players up and down. No, I, you know, I don't think you can argue with that. I think on paper, it seems like a really great move. Um, you know, was I hoping for like some crazy college coach or, you know, uh, some other, you know, amazing coach that's out there that's available. I don't know. I mean, I just, I was, I was thinking there, this would be kind of a wholesale change, but I think you made a really good point that, that it's more of a, a kind of micro uh, wholesale change. Uh, the nostalgist in me was hoping Dan Bowsman, right? Just because former King. Not uh, me. Did you hear what Jack Eichel said about that dude? <laughs> I did. But like, wait, Jesse, Jesse. <laughs> yeah. How many was Bowsman was here for what? A year and a half? Like uh, maybe two years? Uh, do you really? Do you no, really in your heart? Exactly. I loved Dan Bowsman. Do you really that like? Do you really in your heart of hearts have a soft spot that you would want him to come in as as your the head coach of your favorite hockey team? Uh, honestly, I loved Dan Bowsman. The only piece of signed hockey equipment I have is a stick that he used in the 2003 Stanley Cup Final. Um, he was a Long Beach Ice Dog. 
I'm not going to sit here. This is like my love for the movie The Core. I'm not going to tell you that you have to like Dan Bilesma, and I'm not going to ask anybody else to understand why I, as a Kings fan, love Dan Bilesma, but I did love Dan Bilesma. Dan Bilesma <laughs> played three full, uh, not, I mean, three parts of three full initial seasons for the Kings. He was in the organization for five to six years. Yeah. Bounced back between the Roadrunners. And look, the team was awful. 79 when he was games, here. 65 games, and 64 games. And he was, I mean, look. He was a marginal player, you know. He was a, a no, look, fourth look. line penalty killer. <laughs> Trust me, those are my those are my jam. The yeah. guys you're talking about. I'm I'm a guy who worshipped Pat Conacher. <laughs> Would I be excited if Pat Conacher became the NFL? <laughs> the Kings coach tomorrow? I don't know. Love Colin Frazier. Oh, actually, I would like Colin. <laughs> yeah, Frazier. come on. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Um, but no, but but like I said, that's the nostalgist in me. Uh, the realist in me is perfectly happy with, with John Stevens. Um, so uh, now I, I had a whole other thought other than the, the Dan Bilesma one, but I've I've thrown myself off track. But uh, was it? Uh, but uh, but yeah. So that's uh, that's that. Oh, you, you were talking about Gabrick. So there was one thing that Blake said today that that I was really happy to hear, and that was that uh, Gabrick would absolutely not be bought out. And that was something that was concerning me because. I'm fine. Ultimately, I'm fine with whatever player transactions they make, right? I've seen my favorite players traded multiple times. I've seen players that I loved leave for different franchises via free agency, via trade, via retirement. We all get used to it. But buying out a guy doubles the years that his contract eats away at your cap. And if they bought out Gabrick, that'd be eight years um, of paying for him. And we're already paying for Mike Richards till 2031. Um, and that's not a joke, by the way, everybody, that's literally true. Um, so th- I just thought about it and to think that I'd be well into my late forties by the time <laughs> Marion Gaffrey's contract came off the books was really upsetting to me. Um, so I was very glad to hear that they wouldn't do that. Uh, and hopefully he will be able to rebound and have a, a decent season under uh, head coach, Sean Stevens. Yeah, no, I, I think that is really the, um, yeah, up up until today, we learned uh, at the at the press conference that Gabrick has had a quote unquote procedure. Yeah, um, I think Rob Blake said on on Tuesday it would be announced uh, what the procedure was. But again, it was a non. I, I I'm kind of fascinated by these non surgical procedures. Yeah, we... I, like I, like what is a non surgical <laughs> procedure? I don't know. Because um... like I like even if you're let's say you're having like a mole removed, like that's surgery in my like they're cutting into your skin. So, like, I don't know, maybe I'm not up on the latest uh, doctor trends. Well, I mean, it wasn't the... when Quick got hurt. It wasn't the whole hang no, up. That's what I'm saying. That yeah. Quick, especially, it was a non-surgical procedure with yeah. with what we assume was a groin injury. So I don't know if this is some kind of new type of, of uh, medicine that only, like, celebrities and athletes get and, and us normal people. I mean, you know, when I had my appendicitis uh, scare in, in February of 2012 – my doctor was literally a week away from retiring, so now I have a big scar on my stomach oh, no. because he didn't do the modern uh, procedure where they can kind of go in through your belly button and leave no scar. Uh, I wasn't about to argue with him when I was writhing in pain on the on the operating table. Right. But um, so I'm just I don't know it, it, I don't want to go on a tangent, but if there is someone who listens that's a doctor or plays one on TV, I would love to know what these non-surgical procedures are. Well, I, I mean, look, obviously we would love to have John Rosen on to talk about this, but he doesn't like to speculate, but I do. Uh, do we want to speculate on who's who will find out had surgical procedures and who will find out had non-surgical procedures? <laughs> oh, wait, so wait, is there, is there, well, this might all be moot by the time the podcast is sure. out, but... I thought there was just two players that had non-surgical procedures that were going to be revealed. Is there more? I thought there were two that had surgical procedures and two that had non-procedural, like or non-surgical. I could have read that wrong. Yeah, I lost you. But oh, <clears throat> you thought there was what? I thought there were two that were having surgical procedures and two that had non-surgical procedures. Got it. I uh, I don't know. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow. Well, it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Andre Kopitar. Is that where you're going? Yeah, or? basically. <laughs> Well, because in the in the exit, not in the exit interviews, but in the press conference uh, two weeks ago when they introduced Blake and and Robitaille as as GM and president of hockey operations, in the in the individual scrums that broke out, somebody asked Kopitar if he was 
hurt? And he said, yeah. And he blew it off and said, it's nothing I haven't dealt with before. But he said, yes. You know, the pain lingered with him all season. So I'm I'm very curious to see, Um, especially in in the wake of the news that uh, Joe Thornton um, has been playing without a knee and Eric Carlson has been playing without a foot. (laughs) What, what classy warriors exactly. no kidding I don't sacrificing know. their long well i guess thorns on his way out but i mean just what you know you wouldn't you wouldn't see uh you wouldn't see uh baseball players doing that now jesse would you no man they get a or hang, basketball players you get a hangnail and you can re-retire in baseball yeah because they're smart <laughs> they are they they are <laughs> honestly but um I understand why Thornton made the announcement. I'm still not sure why Carlson revealed that he's got two hairline fractures in his left foot. You know what? I, I don't know. I, I wonder if, if the reason you do that is to prevent the other team from going like, like now the referees are a little bit more aware if they're slashing at his foot, yeah. you know, like, like it's, it's like, okay, I'm going to tell you where my injury is. And then if you want to go after it, like, everyone's going to think you're the dude who was like trying to chop down on my broken foot or whatever. So maybe that's it. Or maybe, you know, maybe he's, he's foreign. Maybe he just didn't know like how it works. The uh, Swedish are just so inherently nice. He, he's, I, he's, he's Swedish, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it can't get any nicer than that. Well, may, see, I thought it was just the ultimate psych out. I thought maybe he's got like a torn labrum in his right shoulder or something. And he's just telling oh, that, that very well could be it. I feel like that's, you know, <laughs> telling everybody the exact opposite part of his body. Let's talk about the second round of the playoffs, the half, because they start on Wednesday. And uh, Jesse, I, I, I think you're a little confused here. The the, the NHL is not having playoffs this year. <laughs> the the next big event is the um, NHL draft and the expansion draft. Right. <laughs> as as a Kings fan, that's all I'm focused on well, they're, they're, they're doing playoffs this year the draft lottery is the 29th but yeah it turns out they are actually doing a playoffs without the kings the bastards huh. uh but i is that, don't is that is that is that like part of does the players association know about this like <laughs> it was worked into the last cba they they snuck it in at the last minute that uh that they would do the playoffs even if the kings weren't in it i you know. <laughs> Seems like a bit of a stumble. Uh, I know, I know. Um, but I don't think anybody would have really expected uh, the second round to look the way it does. And there have been some cl- complaints that uh, I think the first and second seed are uh, are facing each other in the second round. What is it? The first and second, the sixth and tenth, and the twelfth <laughs> and sixteenth or something like that. Um, any particular surprises in the first round for you um i mean not i guess chicago probably yeah. you know like i think chicago is probably the the biggest surprise the fact that i think that it was a sweep um and and we saw them fire their associate coach on on monday <laughs> yeah uh, that was a bit of a shock yeah I, but but i also i think as kings fans we we have a lot of sympathy for chicago because They've played a lot of games. They have a lot of players on international teams. And, and you know, sometimes just yeah, a hot goalie um, can get in the way. And, and Pecorini played exactly how the, the Predators needed him to play. And, and um, so, yeah, I think that was the biggest surprise. But I don't think anyone like I don't think anyone discount. I don't think the Predators, even though they are technically the 16th seed uh, in this NHL playoffs, um, I don't think anyone think they were a bad team that got lucky, you know, like, I don't think it was, um, I, I think fans view them better as than maybe the Maple Leafs and, and you know, the Maple yeah. Leafs. No, that's in. true. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, th- I think the, the, the wild, uh, getting bounced by the blues. I think everyone who, uh, even casually looks at advanced <laughs> stats, uh, saw that coming, uh, months ago. Um, the ducks <laughs> look like a really strong team. Yeah. Um, and, and the flames, didn't even show up. And then, you know, I, I was very conflicted with the Oilers and, and Sharks series because I wanted, you know, because I'm a troll on the Internet. Sure. And I I wanted the Oilers to get bounced in the first round after, you know, 10 years of not being there. It's similar to how the Kings did, right? The Kings yep. went eight years and then, you know, lost a, a, a well-fought series against the, the Canucks um, that, that first uh, playoff year. Um, and there's a part of me that just loves schadenfreude and and loosely translated is it means the san jose sharks so um it, i was really excited to, to see 
<laughs> to see the Sharks get bounced in the first round. I was excited to see everyone point to how Logan Couture was such a warrior because he played with a shield for two games or, you know, because of his, his teeth problem. And then, you know, all the 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 mainstream media wanking of, of Joe Thornton today when you find out he was playing uh, on a floating knee with no ACL and no MCL. And it's like you, you see all this stuff come out about oh the narrative. Oh, no one could ever choose him of being a playoff choker anymore. It's like, well, first of all, his team went to the final last year. So, like, he's gotten a little bit of a reprieve, even though they didn't win. But, like, he choked. Like, like he didn't win. So so you could be playing, you know, you could go out there in sled hockey gear with no legs and, and you still lost. So I don't understand how he's he's courageous and a warrior. He, he would probably be courageous and a warrior if he said, hey, you know what? I have no legs. I think maybe you should put someone with legs in the lineup. Right. And see what they could do in my place. Like, then I would be like, hey, what a classy guy. So I just, you know, talk about. You know, we can we we talked about the Kings and and their window and and everything that's gone on, and now we're talking about Chicago. You know, maybe dealing with a bunch of being up against a cap, but just with the, the mismanagement of the Sharks uh, over the last five eight years has just been unreal, unreal. And and Edmonton's a fun team to watch, and and I'm excited to see them in in the second round. I find the most the thing I find most fascinating about everybody now saying you can't call Joe Thornton a choker is that being uh, tough or having perseverance or grit or whatever you want to call what he did on his injury, it has nothing to do with being a, a choker or not a choker. Like it, it would be, it would be akin to saying, well, you know, saying for 15 years, this guy has terrible fashion sense, but then one year he shows up on time every day for work <laughs> and you go, see, he's got, <laughs> you can't cause, can't say he's got bad fashion sense. Now it's like the two are totally unrelated. Right, he won't be not labeled a choker, as you say, until he wins. And and I don't think you know. Obviously, I think Kopitar led the team in points the year they won the cup in in 2012. I think. Um, yep. But you know, it, it, the the amount of points you get in a playoff series does not translate to how many victories or losses you have. And so, yes, Patrick Marlowe may never score a goal. But if his team make, wins the Stanley Cup, who cares? You know, right. he wins yeah. the Stanley Cup. So it's 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 you only get this label on you when you when you consistently can't win. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what the 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 Sharks have have proven. And and you know the writing's been on the wall. Peter DeBoer, every every single team, every single team he's coached has come out of the gate. I mean, the, the, he he was the Devils uh, against the Kings in 2012 in his first season. Yep. And then they never made the playoffs again. He got the Florida Panthers to the playoffs, <laughs> and then they never made the playoffs again. I mean, the Sharks were lucky enough to make the playoffs this year, but I, I just, um, I'm just ready for for that team to kind of be handed away from from Thornton and Marlowe and just like say, okay, guys, you know, go go sign those one year deals in Florida or Dallas. Well, this and, uh, and this off season is the year. I mean, my fear is that they wind up in Vegas with a bunch of other thirty uh, something players you know or, or even older right like if, y- if yager thornton marlowe and a, and a handful of other guys show up yeah uh, right in vegas i don't think that you know they don't necessarily make the playoffs but all season long we just have to hear all about it i um, honestly i did not even think of the vegas like connection at all i mean they're gonna have cap space and and you know if you're a 37 year old player like why wouldn't you yeah um i can't think of uh of other high profile uh, free agents off the top of my head, but I can pull up a list mighty quick. The half as I uh, and then, talk you know, for slowly. the for the games in the East, you know, I think the the Rangers Canadians could have gone either way, and and you know, I think it, it just kind of puts the uh, the final nail in the coffin of of the disaster of a a trade that the PK uh, Subban trade was for the Canadians. That Carey Price could have the kind of playoffs he had, and, and the team can't win. Um, no, no one's, I think, shocked that Ottawa beat uh, Boston despite Eric Carlson's uh, admission that he's a uh, hitcher that's still <laughs> a pretty good Ottawa team. The, the Capitals Leafs was appointment television. I mean, it was, I watched yeah. every single game. I did too. It was great. I mean, you got five of the six games in overtime, and boy, I mean, it's just, again, I just try to relate everything back to this franchise and what they're going through in terms of a, a kind of on the fly rebuild. But I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs rebuilt in three, in two seasons. You know, and you and you sit here and you watch everything that the Oilers did, and everything that every other team is trying to do. Buffalo, 
all the stuff. And and what did the what did the Leafs do? They tanked. I'm sorry. First, they went out and got an amazing coach. Yep. And an amazing GM, an amazing president, and an amazing assistant GM, and they got people that that weren't necessarily. I mean, Brandon Shanahan was never a Leaf, I don't believe. So they uh, obviously neither was Lou Lamarillo. So they didn't get guys that were tied to the franchise like the Oilers have done in the past. And and they had a bad season, and they got the best player, and now they're in the playoffs two years later, and it's unbelievable. And this that, that team, they, they get a one or two more defensemen, and they're going to be a, a perennial team coming out of the East. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, right? You say it took them however long it took them two years to rebuild. Two years, um, it, two years it literally took from from when they decided to to do a rebuild, which was when they traded Fanuf right. and they traded Kessel. <laughs> two years later, Jesse, they are in the NHL playoffs. But that's the kicker because since the lockout, they had missed the playoffs one, two, three, four, every year but one since the lockout. So however many seasons that is, eleven out of. 10 out of 11 seasons before they decided to quote unquote rebuild. Um, they missed the playoffs and, you know, they had Phil Kessel, they had Dion Phaneuf, they had high profile players, you know, they were in every sense, the Edmonton Oilers of the, of the Eastern conference. And you're right. Both teams made a decision just a few seasons ago to quote, you know, to, to do a proper rebuild the way that, that the blues and the penguins and the, and the Blackhawks and the Kings had done in the decade before. And you're right. It's insane how quickly it can be done if you just do it right. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. If you just hire good people yeah. and commit to losing. Yeah, exactly. And and, and and I'm saying that as I think Dean Lombardi did a great yeah. job, too. I mean, Dean Lombardi did it. Did it um, you know, he, he built, uh, again, the luxury of Austin Matthews is a luxury that, that many other teams besides the Edmonton Oilers haven't had. So to get a, a franchise-defining player from, from Phoenix, Arizona for your Canadian team is amazing. But um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just really – I'll still make fun of the Leafs, but less and less as, as the years uh, go on. But, but here's what Edmonton and Toronto did that, that Chicago and St. Louis and Pittsburgh and L.A. did before them. You also have to identify the players already in your organization that are of value. Right, like the, the Leafs didn't yeah. get rid of Bozak, they didn't get rid of Kadri, they didn't they didn't flush the entire team, right? They replaced the top level, and like you said, they mm -hmm. brought in good coaching and, and good management, and here they are. And I mean, it's why I have so much trouble getting behind Calgary personally, um, because Goudreau is yes, Goudreau and Monahan are great, their defensemen are you know are great, but just the way that franchise is run in my mind, they only have success when the teams ahead of them fall down. Right, right. Right, whereas Edmonton, is there any doubt Edmonton's going to be in the playoffs next year? No. No, we're all terrified of Edmonton for the next 15 right. years. Right. <laughs> right, you look at you look at that Bosch, uh, Washington Maple Leafs series, and you're like, okay, even if for whatever reason the Leafs don't make the playoffs next year, we're terrified of the Leafs for the next 10 seasons. They got Nylander, they got Marner, they got... Well, um, but, but Matthews. I, this is now turning into all the Leafs and, and Oilers men, but they're going to have to sign all those guys for the next 10 seasons. There will be challenges, but but they're good. Whereas Calgary, I, I you could tell me Calgary could miss the playoffs for the next five years. I wouldn't even be the least bit surprised. Yeah, I think Calgary believed it's on hype a little bit. Sure. They have been for forever. I just really don't like Calgary. They're they're my new Oilers, <laughs> and then and then and then the final series Pittsburgh Columbus. I mean, what a, jo a joke! Again, uh, anyone who who even casually paid attention to that Blue Jackets team this year realized that they were living off a 17 game winning streak. Yeah. all season long they were they were living off what like a 35 percent power play unit. It just it's ridiculous, and everyone can talk about oh we had to play the Penguins in the first round. It's like tough, like tough, like like then you know what? Finish first. Yeah, if you're worried about your playoff seating, finish first. No, I want an apology from every smug fan over the course of the season who told me that Minnesota and and Columbus were for real, and that I was an idiot for scoffing at them, um, or for not being worried about them. And Boudreau, I realize we're talking about Columbus, but in my mind they're tied. And Boudreau had a comment about how they were the better team, but they just didn't win as many games. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's like, well, you lost. I'm sorry. And they weren't the better team. The yeah. Pe Penguins were the Stanley Cup players. Yeah. So yeah, that was, and, and I don't even mind Penguins capitals in the second round. Um, I, I personally, I prefer the, 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 uh, 
rivalries over a balanced playoff format. But that's yeah. just me. I know some people disagree with that. I see. I don't. I, I I would like to find these fans that are crying about how how one isn't playing sixteen or two isn't you know or even one versus eight in each con like shut up yeah like, like, well we just, had that format for uh, for a decade and and plus yeah. and, and, and before and that we had complain. and and before that for like forty years they had yeah. this, the, pretty much the system we have now so like shut up yeah. yeah yeah and and it's one of the you know I mean you're never gonna please everybody something has to be done and it and at some level you look at the difference in points separating number three from number you know 14 right because obviously washington leapt out to a huge lead uh point wise but other than that you're talking about differences of less than 10 points and over an 82 game season that's like well you're talking about two wins and a couple of overtime losses so you know is boston really that much better than the maple leafs like no i don't think so you know, is St. Louis really that much better or worse than San Jose? Like, no, it's, it all works out. The the I can't think of a year looking back over the last since the lock. Let's just say since the lockout, I can't think of a year where I felt like the team that won the Stanley Cup didn't deserve it, or if the seedings had worked out differently. You know, they got totally hosed, and maybe they should have had a better shot. You still have to beat four teams to win the Stanley Cup. You know what? The Kings had to play the the Sharks, the Ducks, and and the Hawks, right? Yep. To get so like don't 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 talk to me, Columbus friends, right. about having <laughs> yes, to play exactly. Pittsburgh in the first round <laughs> of the playoffs. Like don't even talk. and I'm not even being a homer, but I'm just saying like yeah. And there's a reason why all three of those series went to seven games. Like. Yep. Because playoffs are tough. That's right. Hockey's a tough sport. Let's uh, focus real quick on our SoCal neighbors, the Ducks, because I think you and I probably are going to come down on different sides of this series. Um, Anaheim, Edmonton. You're pulling for Anaheim? I'm not. I'm not pulling for Anaheim. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not. I, 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 this, this is a long time debate I've had with Kings fans. I don't really have a problem with the Ducks. Like I, I, I don't like. I hate the Sharks. Right. I hate Northern California. I hate everything about it. I hate stupid San Francisco. I hate <laughs> stupid Silicon Valley. Except if it's the HBO show. I, I oh, don't even get me started on Eureka. Okay, don't even get me started on Eureka. Eureka, but California. Like, yeah, Eureka's lovely. <laughs> Uh, typical <laughs> typical jesse i'm surprised you haven't claimed uh, a citizenship of northern california <laughs> well, um, that far. <laughs> but I, I don't really have a problem with the ducks so so to me with the sharks out of the picture i'm rooting for california and so like hmm. that uh, no i would love to see the ducks lose to the predators in the conference finals don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but because that's a bigger disappointment and heartbreak and the other thing that people don't realize is like you and i could probably go to see an oilers ducks game on wednesday because tickets are gonna be like 15 bucks yep. and like they'll be like i don't think people i made the joke on twitter but i don't think people truly understand that when the kings played the ducks in that 14 uh, series like we all bought tickets for like what 30 dollars to, to go to the playoff games and sit like in in a pretty like the, their four hundreds, which are pretty decent seats. Like it's crazy. How many it's of crazy. us? How many of us strolled into Game Seven? Like <laughs> with, like day of. Just, how many? How many? I mean, it was like I think it was six or seven of us, right? Just like, however many however many people were on the parking lot pod. Absolutely. Yeah, just rolled up and we all sat next to each other. Like to, we we had our choice of tickets. I mean. Uh, I think and and purchased day before the game. I think. I mean, if if that, I mean, it's just it's and ridiculous. not from a scalper for some outrageous no, amount of money, from, like from, from the from Ducks. Stubhub. Yeah, <laughs> for a pretty reasonable price, given that it was Game Seven. <laughs> yeah, no, was, no, you're right. I mean, I am looking forward to, to that opportunity. Um, it's a lot closer to me than the rain games are for sure. <laughs> oh man, but that is. But, but so you're so you're actively rooting for the Oilers. Um, I which mean, I feel is like it's it's like some sort of like I, I don't read com- I don't read I don't read comic books, but I feel like this would be some sort of um, is it recon? What, what, do, you, what do you call it? The, <laughs> a retcon. Retcon. Where <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden Jesse Jesse's rooting for the Oilers, the team that he's like you know hated for decades. Well, or 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 another comic book reference. This is Bizarro Jesse uh, emerging to. Oh, uh, I get that one from Seinfeld. I yeah, understand that one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, you know this is one of those things where I. 
all four teams that made it into the Pacific Division this year, I have different reasons for having a strong hate on. You know, obviously we all we're Kings fans, we don't like the Sharks. I have my own personal reasons that I've laid out for the last ten years for not liking Edmonton. I just made my case against Calgary and the Ducks for me I don't hate them as much, but I just because the the central division is as weak as it is and I'm not I'm not rooting for St. Louis the half. Mm-hmm. Um a Predators Ducks series I'm I'm uncomfortable with the possibility of a Ducks win. Like I I absolutely do not want the Ducks win to Stanley Cup again. Um because I I enjoy the we have two they have one dynamic that we've got going. Yes. De- definitely agree to that. And I, I, again, I as I stated earlier in the episode, I am an internet troll. Yeah. And to me, the Ducks going to the final and and losing to some combination of Washington or Pittsburgh, so that the other California team loses <laughs> a Stanley Cup final for consecutive years, I just I love that. I think I just think that's like the ultimate troll. If you could promise me that that would happen, I'd sign up for it. But you can't, you can't promise me that. And uh, and like I said, I. A, a Western Conference final of Ducks versus either St. Louis or Nashville. I don't trust either of those teams to beat the Ducks. Right. And, the uh, Ducks look pretty good, dude. Like the yeah. Ducks, like they're they're uh, a, a a couple injuries away from not being in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, they are looking uh, strong. But Calgary, as you stated earlier, was not the best uh, test for them in the first round. So no. let, let's see what, what the Oilers. Uh, uh can do yeah and uh i think the other series that you and i will probably strongly disagree on is uh washington versus pittsburgh what you want pittsburgh yeah i'm the king's fan rooting against justin williams again for the the second round in a row because i don't like alexander ovechkin i'm sorry (laughs) just um i i am not an internet troll but i have just as much schadenfreude as you do and uh, the same way I want Bruce Boudreau to keep losing in the exact same fashion year after year after year. Um, if, as much as I would like to see Justin Williams win a fourth Stanley Cup, and as much as I would like to see him enshrined in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and as much as I would love to uh, be forever vindicated in my argument that Justin Williams is one of the most important elements of the King's success, what I don't ever want to hear is all of the arguments about how Alexander Ovechkin finally won a Stanley Cup and everybody who ever uh, pointed out why he hadn't to this point were wrong. You know, it would be like it would be like if Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe signed with the Hawks next year and they won a Stanley Cup, and then people would say, "Well, see, he's you know he's not a choker anymore. He won." And it's like, oh, okay. So you're thinking about this all wrong. Am I? How <laughs> how much sweeter is it that Marlowe? And Thornton haven't won the cup. But Ovechkin would. When Ovechkin wins it. When uh, Ovechkin wins it. When there's, you know, I, I, I always loved your theory about no new teams, right? Jesse has this yeah, whole theory about uh-huh. he doesn't want anyone new to win the cup. But but apply that towards great players who have never won the Stanley Cup. Like, how great would it be to knock another, make that list even smaller of great players that have never won a Stanley Cup and, and have Thornton and Marlowe be like now the two best players on that list behind uh, Ovechkin. There's Phil something... Kessel's won the cup. Why can't Ovechkin win the cup? There's, there's something to that. And I will say this, the coverage of the first round really laid it on thick with how much the world loves Justin Williams. And I was fine with that. So if part, if, if a condition of the caps winning the cup is that Justin Williams takes personal credit, for transforming Ovechkin from a playoff choker into a not playoff hindrance. I'm all right with that, (laughs) but I just don't know that that's how it'll go down. Uh, And whereas, whereas with the penguins, the penguins is my ultimate, no new happy people team at this point. I mean, I guess Edmonton's won a Stanley cup, but it was so long ago in my mind, it doesn't count. Or four of them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, the I mean Anaheim won five, in two thousand seven. So, but um, but yeah, but uh, Ottawa's never won one. New York, it's been thirty. Well, years. actually, the Ottawa yeah. Silver Seven <laughs> in nineteen oh eight. Not even my great grandparents were around for that one. Um, but yeah, so Pittsburgh for me, you know, having won it last year would be the ultimate safe bet as far as no new happy people, right? Like, 
Kessel would have two. That's the other thing. If Kessel had yeah, no, two and Thornton and Marlowe had none. See, think about it like that. See, I, listen, that's what I'm saying, man. I'm I don't know. all wrong. There's no good choice this year for me anyway. Um, although I think, to be fair, Nashville would be fun. Nashville will be fun because their fans deserve it. Yeah. And and, it Su- and, and PK Subban is to to get traded and to win the Stanley Cup would just be like un unreal. And like, let's un- fa- and and let's be honest, he's the best. <laughs> like I generally yes. I generally yes. don't like it when everybody gets on board with something and you know hyperbole kicks in and everybody talks about something or someone is being fantastic. But every time you listen to him interviewed, he's phenomenal. He donates tens of millions of dollars to charity. He went to Nashville and he immediately bought in to the culture and the fans. And, you know, they've got Carrie Fisher and or not Carrie Fisher. <laughs> uh, or I guess technically too, she is Carrie too, Fisher. Too soon, bro. Too <laughs> but, soon. Uh, but Carrie Underwood, the whole thing. And, you know, the games are fantastic there. Uh, Nashville would be a lot of fun. And obviously we love Pete Weber. But, uh, but I also picked Pittsburgh in my bracket. So that's why I'm really... That's why I'm really pulling for him the half. Anyway, I think I'm going to wrap it up there unless there's anything else you want to touch on. No, I, I think we've done a, a good job of talking more about the Eastern Conference than about the LA Kings new head coach. So, yeah, I think well, we we'll have plenty of time to talk about the LA Kings new head coach when the 2017 2018 season kicks off. Yeah, no, I'm going to I'm I'm a Ducks fan now, so I'm not going to follow this team next Oof, year. The Royal Quack. All right. Jay, well, Jay. <laughs> Actually, the royal quack is the person who does those non-surgical procedures. Is the royal quack. <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> anyway, that I will talk to you soon. All right. Joining me now, voice of the Nashville Predators and longtime friend of the pod, Pete Weber. How are you doing today, Pete? Doing great. Ready to move on. This is exciting. Yeah, congratulations. Um, look, I mean, a handful, a small, small handful of people. Uh, predicted that Nashville would defeat Chicago, but the vast majority of, of pundits and fans and quote-unquote experts had the Blackhawks advancing. What was the key to Nashville's uh, series win? I'd have to say, overall, it was a number of uh, factors here. Number one, Pecorino was fantastic. Mm-hmm. He gave up three goals in the four games. Uh, and then number two, Peter Laviolette was able to roll four lines. And that gave him confidence he had to worry about any particular matchups or or playing chess against Joel Quenville or anything of that nature. And the key to that, having the four lines to roll, was one that he sort of put together uh, almost last minute, though I'm sure he had it in mind. But that was to put Captain Mike Fisher between Harry Zolnerchuk and Austin Watson. And those guys... They didn't produce a lot offensively, but they did the game at all ends of the rink. They had the 200-foot game. He had the confidence. You roll the four lines. And the other thing was the way the the Jofa line, the uh, Ryan Johansson working with Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson line did against uh, whatever line, as it turned out as the series developed, Jonathan Taves was on. Um, Let's talk about Pecorino a brief moment, because a few years ago he was – uh, considered, I think, one of the top goaltenders in the league. And then he went through a period, I don't know how how widely spread this this feeling was, but I remember hearing a lot of people talk about the demise of Pekka Rinne and, and the decline of Pekka Rinne. Um, you know, obviously, when a team beats another team in the playoffs, it can never be distilled down to one thing. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the trope in the sports world is to talk about how a hot goalie can can you know take you deep into the playoffs he only allowed like you said three goals in the entire series how good was Pecorine in this series absolutely fantastic but he had a lot of help uh, rarely did he have to face a rebound shot that was a huge key to that the the Preds did a great job of clearing those but it, it, I kind of feel here like I'm William Shirer the former CBS correspondent uh, in Europe who wrote the rise and fall of the Third Reich I don't know that I've actually I don't think I've seen the the rise and fall of Pecorino so much. I mean, I think he's been pretty consistent. Yeah, well, it, goaltending is such a bizarre animal and this year especially uh with the Kings struggles with it. I'm I've I've sort of had my opinion about goaltending tipped completely on its head um after seeing Budai stack up some wonderful numbers but realistically yes. not being a, an, an NHL starter. Um, but let's talk about Mike Fisher's wife real quick. Uh, yeah. What did she belt out the national anthem before game three? Well, was how much of a surprise was that? Because it seemed sort of uh, like a no brainer at some point that she'd make an appearance. But when she did, yes. 
when she, her when her name was announced to sing the national anthem, it sounded like the place went absolutely nuts. It it did. And number two, Mike's teammates for the most part had no idea that uh, that Carrie was coming out to sing the anthem. Uh, my wife was in the Predators' wives' gathering before that game. She had had no indication that Carrie was going to go out and sing. Lo and behold, she did. And who knows what sort of you know emotional uptick that gave the team too. It certainly gave one to the crowd, uh, and that was absolutely fantastic. Talking about you know uh, tropes and hot takes and and sports columnists and everything, <laughs> much will be made, no doubt, of the fact that Shea Weber and uh, and the Montreal Canadiens are out in the first round, and PK Subban and the Nashville Predators move forward. How important was PK Subban uh, both in the regular season and in this playoff round? Well, I think he's going to become more important in the playoff round because he missed 16 games and took a while to get back onto the moving train that coaches always like to talk about when you come back from injury. But I think he played extraordinarily well. He got under the skin. He really got under the skin of Jonathan Taves. That was evident. And he continued to do that sort of thing. Uh, that's going to be huge. The, the defensive pairings, I think, have been, uh, after the first part of the season, you know, hit and miss, trial and error, however you wish to refer to it, finally getting Ryan Ellis with Roman Yossi because initially PK started out with Roman Yossi and it was determined that uh, Roman and PK were too much the same type of defenseman. And then PK Subban became the partner for, P uh, rather, uh, Matthias Eklund became the partner for PK Subban uh, and that worked out incredibly well. And while they were going through the injuries, one man who was uh, in many ways an afterthought, he started the year in the minor leagues, but when you get right down to it, Matt Irwin was a critical part of this defense going forward almost, well, it was, what, five, six games into the season when he got called up from Milwaukee. They put him in on the first pairing, the second pairing, and now he's on the third pairing with Yannick Weber. And uh, that's worked out very well. But the key is the coaching staff has confidence in all three pair. And I think that helps out a great deal, too. So you don't have to put in the old uh, Chris Pronger or now today Ryan Suter type of minutes on one guy. Well, I was I was just going to comment. I'm looking at the numbers, and uh, you have Ekholm, Subban, and Ellis all playing about 25 minutes, with uh, Yossi playing roughly 27. But to have four defensemen that you can rely on to play uh, upwards of 20 minutes uh, and even 25, yeah, that's that's tremendously beneficial. Uh, how important has Peter Laviolette been since his arrival in Nashville a few seasons ago? Well, very important. He, I think he had to, you know, change a culture here a little bit make guys think attack first he's he's of the mind I, I think i can distill his philosophy in that we'll go the old thing the best defense is, a, is an outstanding offense if you keep the pressure on the other guy he's gonna have a difficult time trying to expose any if there are weaknesses in your defense uh the Blackhawks are rivals of plenty of teams, obviously, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> but defeated Nashville uh, two seasons ago in the playoffs. What kind of extra motivation uh, did Nashville bring into the series because it was Chicago? Well, as far as the fans are concerned, now there have been two playoff exits to the Chicago Blackhawks. The first of those in 2010, when Nashville was within moments of taking a three-games-to-two series lead home from Chicago. But... They decided to try an extra pass. It was intercepted by Patrick Kane. It turned into a shorthanded game-tying goal. And then Marion Hosa, who likely should have been ejected from the game earlier for trying to drive Dan Hamhuis through the Zamboni door, uh, came out of the penalty box from serving his major and scored the game winner in overtime. So Predators fans look back at that almost like Red Sox fans did for so many years, look back on, it gets by Buckner! I mean, that's the way uh, they have regarded the, the rivalry. And then to lose to Chicago again in 2015, well, let's just say it left a very bitter taste. So this playoff win was kind of like the one in 2012 when the Predators finally removed the Detroit Red Wings from the list of cannot beat in the playoffs. So in all the series, we've got uh, the wild card National Predators upsetting the over one number one seed in the West. We've got the wild card Rangers upsetting Montreal, uh, St. Louis over um, Minnesota is an upset, and then obviously Edmonton had a better season than than San Jose, yeah. but a very young yeah. team. Ottawa, I think, although the higher seed over Boston, you know, a, a young team that that hasn't had any success lately. Is there 
is there some truth to the notion um, that, you know, the league is turning over? I mean, we saw Toronto give Washington a, a run for their money. I think there is. And I and that was more than just a run for their money. I mean, I could see the, you know, I, I know Barry Trotz pretty well. I can see the look of absolute relief <laughs> and exultation on his face when the overtimer went in. I, the only uh, Maybe there's a bit of shock that it wasn't, you know, Justin Williams who got it. But uh, uh, that, that uh, Johansson did. I think that this league definitely is turning over right now. Uh, we, I think it happens a little bit more quickly now because more teams are right up against the cap. They have yeah. very little flexibility to make any moves. Uh, and the ones they do oftentimes turn out to be extraordinarily costly for them. So I think that we are in the midst of this right now. Isn't it strange? You know, this is 12 years after the salary cap system uh, first was implemented. But I think now we are beginning to really see the effects of it. You know, it's funny. I was I was grumbling to myself because people were heaping praise on uh, Eric Carlson, who clearly deserves it. But I'm a Kings fan, so I love Drew Doughty. And, right. um, and I was watching the highlights of that uh, stretch pass he made from his own goal line to the far blue line. Um, it's an incredible pass, but I kept grumbling. That's a two line pass, and I don't like it. And I, it occurred yes, to sir. Me, it occurred to me it's been twelve seasons now. <laughs> that, yeah, no, that, we all feel the same. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, it's ingrained in you, Jesse. Yeah. It's, so what? What else can you do but react in such a way? Uh, I totally agree. Uh, one thing I wouldn't mind seeing changed in the game. I wouldn't mind seeing the red line come back into play because I think it, ultimately we're going to get some defensemen killed. Yeah, well, and and it it made me realize that for me, right, twelve years is you know is a, a fraction of my life. But for some of these players, 12, yeah. 12 years is the bulk of their of their career as being coached, um, you know, semi professionals. And so you have yes. those teams now um, full of guys that are actually used to that way the game is played. Who do you have uh, moving forward? Obviously, you've got Nashville beating St. Louis, but who else do you have advancing in the in the second round of the playoffs? Well, uh, obviously, the big kryptonite right now for the Capitals in the East is, is the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's unfortunate they have to meet now, but that's the system we're in, and we have to live with it. Uh, I am really wondering, uh, sincerely wondering, because I think they're equipped to play the game either way you want to play it, chippy or speedy, what the Edmonton Oilers might do with the Anaheim Ducks. I'm uh, that's That series really interests me aside from the fact that the predators had the potential uh to meet the winner of that uh but uh, edmonton really has amazed me because don't we always jesse we always talk about needing as a franchise matures or a group of players mature you need mm -hmm. to take incremental steps well this was i think they just took a large step right there with what Edmonton did. Now, I know San Jose injured, not completely up to snuff. I'm expecting to hear that uh, it might have even been Joe Thornton skating on an artificial lake, <laughs> the way things are coming out uh, in the aftermath of that series. Uh, and we had seen when Logan Couture got that inadvertent puck in the face off the stick of Patrick Marlowe here in Nashville late in the regular year and to see how well he was able to perform. So I, I think that that is the series I'm probably going to end up watching the closest, Edmonton and San Jose. You mentioned incremental steps, and uh, I hadn't planned on asking you about this, but it, it just made me curious. Uh, what do you think of Buffalo firing Murray and Bilesma? Because I was looking at their three-season uh, progression, and, mm -hmm. and obviously it's a very different team. It's a very different franchise. They have different assets, so a, a direct comparison is not particularly useful. But it reminded me a bit of the course that Lombardi took the Kings on his first three seasons. They didn't. Yeah, see a ton of progress, but then in that fourth season they made that leap. Um, do you think Buffalo made a mistake? I don't know yet. It's going to be the we're going to find out what their solution is to what they just did and and tear everything apart. And ironically enough, I am hearing a lot, and not necessarily from insiders in Buffalo, that you mentioned D Lombardi. I am hearing his name mentioned very prominently there. But the one thing that has to, I think, probably get cleared out. Are the Sabres, and I think Terry Pagula, the owner, is tending this way, going to want to put a, a Brendan Shanahan type of president of hockey operations in place before hiring a general manager? Or would Dean Lombardi be the president of hockey operations there? 
Well, they could do a lot worse. Than yes, you're Lombardi. darn right. You're darn right. And then especially as long as the father-in-law is along to tell yeah. some great stories. Exactly. You get Bob Pulford stories. I mean, he can't beat that. No. No, you can't. And uh, we've been seeing the Sutter family out in Ontario, so uh, we know that they are uh, free as well. Pete, I want to thank you so much as always for joining me. Glad to do it, Jess. At any time, please. And uh, congratulations on the Nashville Predators. I uh, I have said it on Twitter. I am now uh, I'm I'm reversing my policy of of wishing that no new fans get to see a Stanley Cup win. And I'm now I'm now rooting for the Nashville Predators. That is very much appreciated, <laughs> Jesse. And hope we can help you realize that. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. We'll talk to you as the playoffs roll on. Okay. Take care. We're here in the press box at Citizens Business Bank Arena following the Ontario Reigns 2-1 defeat at the hands of the San Diego Gulls. With me tonight, voice of the LA Kings and the Ontario Reign, Dave Joseph. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Ontario Reign insider Lindsay Zarneski. How are you tonight, Lindsay? Doing good, thanks. And our junior insider, Bo Hamby. How are you doing, Bo? Good. Making my debut. <laughs> That's right. First time on the pod, but longtime friend of the pod. Uh, so, Dave, just let's get you know right off... Um, rambling, doing a terrible job right at the start. But Dave, what was the atmosphere like from your uh, viewpoint down on the ice tonight? Uh, fantastic to start the game. Crowd was, what, sellout crowd again tonight? Fans were into it right from the start, I thought. Doesn't help so much that San Diego scores two goals in the first five minutes. Kind of took the crowd out from there. Uh, but I thought second period and then the third period, crowd was back into it. The rain were buzzing for most of the second and then the third period. I really thought they were going to tie it at some point unfortunately it didn't happen but unbelievable atmosphere here it's always you know it's a double-edged sword right with a huge contingent coming from san diego so you have that extra energy of enemy fans in the building but i mean it it builds the atmosphere right yeah absolutely and i think uh it's only going to get bigger as the series goes on it's too bad it's not a best of seven it's just a best of five but uh i think the what six day break in between is going to kind of quiet things down a little bit but uh, certainly no love lost between the two teams and the fans as well. So I think things will pick, pick back up again on Friday in San Diego. Lindsay, you had a chance to talk to the coach uh, last night and, and tonight. Uh, how much of an effect do you think the fact that they had back-to-back games played on this series so far? I don't think it's so much that. I think it was just more so San Diego is a very good team at the start. And tonight they were able to convert and then score two goals in the first five minutes. And it really put the rain back on their heels. And they were saying tonight that they were – they were ready. They were expecting that. Obviously, this is a team that could have went down two games to nothing and be on the brink of elimination. But for whatever reason, the rain weren't able to, you know, withstand that pressure. And and the goals converted to early goals, and it was a difference. You never want to say a game was lost in a span of 30 seconds, but it really did feel like San Diego pounced, and then the rain were playing catch up the rest of the game. Did you did you feel like they had a shot at the end uh, during that last final push in the last three or four minutes? Yeah, I like, too, that Stuthers mixed up the lines a little bit, and he kind of mentioned that he might do that moving Maye around, and he did, and he gave him a chance with Brodzinski and Kempe, and that gives them a good speed line. And then he put together the Reigns' number one line that was together for a long time with uh, Hensick and Merce and, and Teddy Purcell. So with, with that in mind, I thought they were happy with the way that things kind of went in the third period as far as them being able to generate more chances. But really, they just ran out of time. It seemed like Hensick won two clean face-off wins. The one that kind of stands out to me was the one with about a minute or so to go, and uh, the puck went to Johnny Brodzinski, and he missed wide. And I think that was probably the Reigns' best chance to tie the game and uh, just missed. But we talked about Paul Ledoux being out of the lineup. Uh, any word on his return? Not from Stuthers. They're not. They're keeping quiet as far as as far as we know on Ledoux, as they like to in the playoffs, right? No matter what league you're in, uh, yeah. NHL, AHL, ECHL, if there's a playoff and if there's an injury in the playoffs, you're not going to hear about it. The well, Kings are not generally forthcoming about when players are going to return <laughs> at any level of the organization <laughs> or any time of year. Um, Lindsay, I want to talk about that top line you mentioned because I, I found it interesting. We spoke earlier this week in the preview of the series about how Brodzinski and Kempe and, and Ledoux, you know, how the guys that were called up would be called upon to elevate their game now that they've been inserted back into the lineup. And I, I felt like they did. Obviously, Brodzinski and Kempe hook up on the game-winning goal in game one. But I've been fascinated by the fact that Teddy Purcell, who, when he was sent down in the middle of the season, scored, what, a point-a-game clip 
um, so far have been kept off the score sheet in this series. How important is it for them to have guys like him and Hensick and Backman, you know, the, the veteran scorers, contribute if they're going to win this series? Right. Well, Hensick scored last night, a good goal for him, but uh, Purcell's been a player who's kind of been up and down since, um, you, like you mentioned, he kind of went on that tear, and so I think it's going to be important for them to kind of get that band back together again on that first line. Uh, they were generating some chances, and there was, some, there was a time where that top line was really like getting points after points in the middle of the season so I mean I just think for the rain too they're going to need those those players like you mentioned the ones that came back I thought Kempe kind of had an off night tonight uh Brodzinski um had just two shots on goal goal they need more from him because he's their he's their best goal scorer and he needs to have at least like four or five shots a game Dave you and I spoke before we started recording about uh Cameron Schilling and uh I mentioned that I didn't think he had a great game. You confirmed by saying he had a couple of bad turnovers. Uh, how how bad does it look from ice level when a guy turns the puck over uh, the way both teams did tonight, just right at the blue line? Yeah, I noticed. That. I noticed a couple. Not to pick on, on Camp Schilling. Uh, I'll let you do that. No, there were tons of but, turnovers but, in the game. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it goes goes yeah. both ways. Uh, Schilling had an assist on the goal on the rain loan goal, so I thought he looked good there. Made a nice pass out of the corner. Um, They've got to limit. They've got to limit those turnovers. I mean, San Diego, right? And this is a team that just pounces on those, and they convert it right away. Um, listen, San Diego turned the puck over a couple times tonight too, and the Rain could have converted on those. They didn't. I think that could be ultimately what decides the series is who converts on those plays. And Schilling, again, I'll let you take that. I liked him when he first came up. I yeah. thought he was a solid player. Uh, maybe an off game tonight, but I like the way he plays. I know you're not a huge fan, but I, I like he's got a little physical <laughs> yeah. aspect to his game he moves the puck well, seems to have good foot speed and, and moves well on the ice, so we'll see what happens I don't have anything against Schilling, like I said earlier it, it, it just becomes one of those confirmation bias things where you see a guy make a mistake you know, and because he's new to the team and I still have all the Kings numbers programmed in my head, I see number 12 and I have to look it up and then I go, oh Schilling, alright that was a bad turnover, <laughs> and then it happens again and because it's fresh in my mind Right, it, and yeah. so and so before the game's over, you just start tuning in on that one guy. But I, I thought both teams made a bunch of of turnovers. Um, the San Diego seemed to have a bit more energy when it came to pouncing on it. Bo, did it seem like a sloppy game to you? Because to me, like I said, it felt like there were tons of turnovers in both zones. I think there were certain aspects of it that even the goalies uh, at certain times, Campbell seemed to be reaching out a little bit. Enroth uh, got a couple of maybe easy shots that uh, became rebounds and were a little sloppy. Even in the face-off circle, the rain were particularly sloppy today. Uh, Hensick, talking about that, that top line, uh, went 3 for 11 in the first two periods. That's not great. Um, and the, the whole team as a whole, they finished with about a 36% uh, conversion rate on the face-offs, which is not good. And, and that's just going to, you know, you're giving the team the puck straight off the bat. Um, and if you're going to also make turnovers like that throughout the game, that's a lot of possession lost. Obviously, a 2-1 to loss is not the end of the world. The team played well, so let's focus on some of the positives. Um, they did go down early, but after that two-goal stretch, I felt like Ontario did a, a much better job defending. Lindsay, who stood out to you on the blue line tonight? I thought Alex Antoniemi had a good game, and I thought Zach Leslie had a good game, too, because Leslie's been paired with Matt Roy, uh, a rookie um, who's just joined the reign. I mean, that's a big responsibility for a guy like him to, to be given that task to be paired with a, with a young blue, blue liner and have to show him the way. But I think Vincent Loverdi is just the solid rock captain for this team, and, and he had another good game tonight. He was very good last night as well. I saw Michael Mersch doing a lot of little plays, you know, take the hit to make the play, getting crunched when he had to, but moving the puck up the ice. Dave, how did he look to you tonight? Yeah, I thought he looked good. Um, ultimately, I'd like to see him get on the scoreboard and, and show some of that scoring touch that he showed in the past, and I think that could be a key in this series. You talk, Lindsay talked about having a big guy step up, elevate their games. You're going to need scoring from the Hensicks and Kempes and guys like that. Um, so I'd like to see him get on the scoreboard. I think if he just keeps doing what he's doing, he's, he's going to get there. It felt a little bit to me like they were almost deferring to using Kempe and Brodzinski. Um, you know, they pulled the goalie in the last minute of the game, and they go with five forward, one D setup, and it was Brodzinski, Kempe, um, Hensick on the faceoffs and Purcell. But I was surprised I didn't see more of, of Mersch and Amadio and, and Backman out there. Um, I don't have a question. I was just trailing off of Thana. But uh, number 14, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. Philippe, I guess I'm going to try and... Maya, there we go. Uh, what can you tell about him? It, it, what can you tell us about him, Lindsay? Because I 
I recognize his name because they brought him up recently, but I don't know anything about him. Yeah, well, he's from the University of New Brunswick. Brunswick. They just came off fresh off the CIS championship, and he joined the rain, and he's impressed so far. And I, I think I was surprised, too, when talking in, with Stuthers before this series started that he mentioned Maie without even me asking him about Maie. He started talking about how he gives them a luxury because he can play in different positions. He can play center. He can play the wing. And um, he's played a bit with Brodzinski and Kempe, which he did later in this game. And in his first game, he scored a goal, and it was because he got moved into a line with uh, Hensick and Purcell. And so I think, too, he's an opportunist. And I'd like to see that line start together for the next game because I thought they brought some energy and even just moving that line together it puts the top line back together again I, they put what Lowry, Sutter and it was Auger together and, and that was a very effective line so I mean you move things around a little bit and then maybe you hope a guy like Andrew Crescenzi gets healthy too and then if he's back that's going to be a guy who's key in the faceoff circle and, and can bring more depth to this team. After those adjustments were made uh, in the opposite fashion of every time I'd see a turnover, it felt like it was number 12. Uh, every time I'd look up and see a, a rain, you know, pushing on the forecheck or, or doing something impressive, it was either, it was always Mersh, Maye, or, uh, or Roy, uh, who was another guy that I, I don't have a lot of experience with. What did you think about his game, Bo? Uh, you know, I, was, I, I, I liked him. He did seem to be a little bit all over the ice tonight, which can sometimes maybe be a liability as a defenseman, especially maybe a younger defenseman. Um, but in the you know late late in the game when they're down a goal, you you want some of that, and I think especially with this blue line, there's maybe not as much of an offensive upside with some of these players. So when you have Roy stepping in and, and that kind of thing towards the end of the game, it's I think it's necessary, and it's nice to see you know someone take that initiative. I think you mentioned uh, Campbell scrambling a little bit early in the game after those two goals, neither of which I would say were his fault. How do you think? What do you think of his game for the rest of the stretch? I liked Campbell. I thought he was stronger than Enroth. Uh, he made one save uh, where he was falling back, and he caught it. I got the caught the puck in his glove. I was really impressed with that. Um, but there were a, a number of times where I would say the puck were was in his pads or or just kind of in his gear, and he would he would turn around and and the puck would be lying in the crease. Or there were a lot of sloppy, scrambly plays where uh, rain players and goals players were just basically piling in on him. Um, you know, maybe the same with Enroth too, but I would have liked to see maybe a little bit more cleaner rebound control or just maybe more awareness of the puck in some of those plays just to keep that from happening. Lindsay, what do you think of Campbell so far in the whole series, not just tonight? I thought that he almost looked like he was better tonight uh, than yesterday, and he, he mentioned that in his, his post-game interview too, but I think he's given the Reign a chance to win, obviously in both games, and that's what he has to do uh, for them. And um, talking to him post-game, I mean, he seemed like he was taking blame for some of those goals, but I agree with you that he was, you know, left high and dry. I mean, the first one, it was sort of kind of popped out to the high slot, uh, kind of a fluke play of where it landed and, and Sorensen scored, and but other than that, I mean, I thought Campbell's, I think Campbell's been pretty good. And I'm, I like that save that Bo mentioned, too. And um, they're going to be riding him this series. I mean, I don't expect Zadkoff to really play unless there's some situation where they really need him. But the Rain are going to have a week-long rest here before getting back to action on Friday. So crazy. It's so many days off. Dave, what did you think of Jack Campbell? Yeah, I, I thought he was good. He, uh, there's a couple that he might want back. Uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll go say that, right? But... Uh, Ultimately, you're looking at two one-goal games that could have gone either way. I mean, scoring with 11 seconds left in game one, hey, if that doesn't happen, the game goes to overtime, and who knows what happens. So you're looking at a similar situation here. I think every game is going to be like that. It could come down to the goaltenders. I thought, you know, like both said, it's, it's, uh, both guys looked a little shaky at times, but I think Campbell actually outplayed him tonight. It's just a matter of getting more opportunities at Enroth. And see what can you know see what can happen for the rain. So, but I thought they both I thought they both looked okay tonight. Well, it is late, and we all have to drive back home <laughs> from Ontario. So I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you for joining me, Bo. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you for joining me, Lindsay. Of course, anytime. Thank you for joining me, Dave. Always oh, my pleasure. Thanks for joining us, Danielle. And we'll talk to you soon, Kings fans. Listen. <laughs>